Go ahead and open up your Bibles, pull them out this morning. I love that every time ever after worship, there's like usually this kind of corporate deep breath, like, wow, that was a lot. It's kind of intense. God's always doing stuff. Open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 7 this morning. Luke chapter 7. We're going to read a couple of verses here, uh, right, right here at the beginning. So, um, you know, get there quickly. <laughs> verse, seven, er, verse 18 of chapter 7 is where we're going to read the book of Luke. If you're there, say, I'm there. You guys ready to hear from God? Awesome been hearing from a few people the last few weeks like man God's speaking I just want to stand up and like yell but I but I knew I didn't want to interrupt please interrupt just do it stirs up my faith and everybody else's faith don't be ashamed of what God's doing in your heart amen, amen. verse 18 here we go Luke chapter 7 we're going to pick up a story and read uh, not the whole thing but some of it the disciples of John reported all these things to him speaking about things about Jesus. The disciples of John reported all these things to him and John calling two of his disciples to him sent them to the Lord saying, "Are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another?" A little bit of context before we go any further. John that we're reading about here is John the Baptist as in, you know, John the Baptist. Everybody's heard John the Baptist, that guy. And uh, he's lived his life, been in his ministry, but now he's in prison, and he's a little discouraged. And I think that if I was in prison, I'd be a little discouraged as well. He's given his life and his ministry to proclaiming Jesus, and now he's coming up a little bit of a, against a roadblock, and he's telling his disciples, I need you to go ask Jesus a question. And this isn't just a simple question like, oh, picked up the phone, like, hey, real quick, are you the one? I mean, this is heavy. This is heavy. John's having a hard day, and he needs to know because he needs to know. You know what I'm saying? Are you the one who is to come, or should we look for another? Should we just say this was kind of fun, and let's move on? Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men came to Jesus, they said to Jesus, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour, Jesus healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many whom were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered John's disciples. He said, go and tell John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. You have your notes out this morning. Pull them out if you don't. Right at the top of your page, I want you to, I want to share a message with you that I think is going to encourage somebody this morning. And the title of this message is Off-Ramps. Off-Ramps. When I lived in Texas after high school, being down there for college and a little bit of life after that, I made the drive up here to Indianapolis a few times from either Waco or College Station, Texas. And, um, you know, for some people, that's not a long drive, but it's definitely not a short one. It's like a thousand miles right on the dot. So what is, I mean, 17, 18 hours, give or take a little bit, depending on how heavy your right foot is, as they say. <laughs> so I made the drive a few times, and there's not really like a great route between like College Station and Indy. Um, I mean, you can, obviously you can get here, but it's, it's kind of weird, and it's definitely not exciting. It's a really boring stretch of everything. I don't know how they laid it out in the most boring part of everything, but there you are. It's really, really, really lame. And so when we were moving here to Indianapolis, we had to obviously move our stuff from College Station up here to Indianapolis. And 
Heather and her pregnancy and Rose, they totally ditched me. They flew. They flew up here. How dare them? So um, <laughs> she said, that's right. She's not embarrassed about that. And she shouldn't be. So her and uh, the kids came up. They flew up a little bit before me. So I was stuck solo with a massive Penske box truck and towing Heather's car behind that on a trailer. So it was a little bit of a rig, and, which was kind of awesome. It felt pretty good. It had, a, it had an air horn, which was cool. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, I got to make this drive. And the original plan was to stop halfway-ish in, outside of Memphis. That's kind of like the halfway point. It's like, if you're going to stop, that's kind of your place to stop. If you go further, you might as well just finish it, you know? So I'm planning to stop in Memphis and because I'm going to go slow in this truck, right? I mean, it's big and all that. So I'm making the drive. I pull into Memphis for my stop, but it's like 6.30 p.m. And everybody knows you can't stop a road trip at 6.30 p.m., right? It's like, come on. I mean, it's not even dark out. I can't stop. So I just canceled the hotel. I said, you know what? It's going to be fine. I kind of did the math. I'll get in there a little bit late, but it's no big deal. I figured I'd probably get in around like midnight, 1 a.m., something like that. So I was like, whatever, I can do that. Well, I forgot to account for a time change, so that cost me an extra hour. And then the second half was just a little slower than the first half. And so I found myself pretty tired. And uh, between Memphis and Indy, there's kind of like nowhere to stop at all. Like, I'm serious. And people have made the drives, right? Yeah. Like, I literally, not, not only is it like there's no Starbucks between Memphis and Indy, there's like no coffee there's no bathrooms, there's no people, it's Mars. You're just out there on your own. It's crazy. So I'm making this stretch, and it's getting late, I'm getting tired, and of course it rained the whole way, so it's pitch black, rainy, and it's like, you know, I want this to be over. So here comes about 1 a.m., and I realize I still have a couple hours left, and this is not fun. And then I begin to see signs for the promised land. It might have been a Caribbean vacation. It might, should have been a Caribbean vacation at that point, but it was Everybody's favorite town, Effingham, Illinois. <laughs> Effingham, Illinois. It's the only thing between Memphis and Indy that has a cup of coffee. And so I thought, okay, you know what? I can make it to Effingham. And I'm like struggling, but you know you set your goals for road trips. Like I can just get to the next thing. And here comes the off-ramp for Effingham, Illinois. And so I pull over, I'm getting some coffee, but then I find myself thinking, who needs Indianapolis? <laughs> Effingham's great. <laughs> like... Lord, I'm sure Effingham needs a church. I can call Heather. She can fly over here or drive or however you get to Effingham. Like, let's just stay in Effingham. I don't need to make this rest of this trip. I'm tired. I'm alone. And I just want this to be over. Just want this to be over. Sometimes it feels good to just want to stay in Effingham. Am I right? We have a saying around here uh, that we say about salvation. We say it's not a destination, it's a what? Okay, we say it's not a destination, it's an invitation. Okay, we'll keep working on that. That was a test to see how in there it is for us. We'll keep saying it. We say salvation's not a destination, it's an invitation. When you give your life to Jesus, you're not just arriving at Jesus. I think this is why it's called following Jesus, right? Not like arriving at Jesus. You're following Jesus because you've taken the first step in a long journey, hopefully, of walking with God and, and seeing the adventure of God in your life and tasting the intimacy of God and getting to know him as a friend like we read in the Psalms. Salvation is just the first step. Amen, somebody? It's just the first step. You're just accepting the invitation. And that's awesome, and it's a good invitation because there's nobody like Jesus. 
And there is nothing like following Jesus. Nobody else can deliver what he can deliver. Nobody else can rescue you like Jesus can rescue you. Nobody else is gonna take you on adventure like Jesus is gonna take you on adventure. He's not gonna, nobody else can show you. Come on, is anybody awake this morning? Can we talk about Jesus? He is amazing and following Jesus is amazing. And following Jesus in all of its awesomeness, sometimes it's not. It's always awesome, and sometimes it's kind of not. Sometimes it doesn't seem so awesome. As a great philosopher once said, life is a highway. And if that's true, that means there's lots of off-ramps. If this is a journey, Jesus says it's a path you enter in by a gate. We've got a long road to go, whatever the analogy is. If it's a highway, that means there's off-ramps. And throughout the Bible, if you read this, it's not always like cute coffee mug sayings, you know? Like, there's a lot in here where God uses words, where he is, 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 it, he's admonishing us with words like persevere, have endurance, press on, don't stop, don't lose the faith, fight the good fight. Because God knows that we live in these bodies. Anybody have a body? We live in these bodies and we live on this planet and we're these humans and we're really attracted to shiny things. And most of the time, like all the shiny things we like usually have to do with like health, wealth, and happiness. Those are shiny and we like those things and those things are great. Always a fan of those things. And sometimes when you're following Jesus, you experience those things like you could never imagine. But sometimes you don't. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes it's not all shiny in following Jesus. Sometimes you run into things that don't line up with the desires for health, wealth, happiness, and all the other shiny objects that we like so much. Sometimes we run into little things and we've got words for them and like trials, disappointment, offense, pain, burdens, transition, just transition. Sometimes life changes and that's just hard and you don't know why, it's just hard. Sometimes we run into things. Sometimes you get confused. And, and I'm not talking about just life. Like everybody experiences that. But you at times experience that to an increased measure because you're following Jesus. You're going through something hard and people are like, oh, I thought God was good. And you're like, no, he is. It's like, how? Uh, uh, I don't know. I just believe it. A little confused. And sometimes you even experience loss. I mean, there's these things that come up. And each of these things, when they come up in our lives, especially when they pertain to following Jesus, they always seem to not just happen, but they're always presenting us an opportunity for exit. They're always giving us this off-ramp where it would just be a little easier to pull off. And just, we made it this far, let's just stay in Effingham. Who needs to keep going? Why? Why keep putting forth the effort? It'd just be a little easier to slow down. Stop believing for the impossible. Stop loving things that are and people that are difficult. Stop trying to navigate the complicated. Let's just stop trying and let's just cruise. In Luke chapter 7, we pick up the story of the man, the myth, the legend, John the Baptist. John the Baptist, the man, John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, 
John the Baptist. Like, baptized Jesus, John the Baptist. The last prophet of all the prophets in all of the history, John the Baptist. God's been silent for 400 years. No prophets, no nothing. But then here comes John the Baptist. Prophesied in Isaiah. Somebody's going to come. He's going to live in the wilderness and say, prepare the way for the Lord. John the Baptist. Introduced the concept and baptism to the planet. John the Baptist. John the Baptist, like the man, John the Baptist. He has lived an incredible life. He's lived an incredible ministry. He has paved the way for Jesus. He was the one who was in the water when the heavens opened up. The dove came down. God's audible voice boomed. Here's my son of whom I'm well pleased. He's the one that saw Jesus walking down the road and he tells his disciples, there's the guy. Forget me, go with him. John the Baptist. But here he is on the other side of all of that and he's alone, he's tired, he's in prison. He knows he's probably gonna get killed soon and he's wondering, is it time to just pull off this whole thing? He's kind of, honestly, he's looking for an off-ramp. He's looking for a way out. And he sends his friends to Jesus. He says, Jesus, are you, are you really the one that we've been waiting for? Or should we just wait for another one? I said it earlier, but he's basically saying, should we just kind of pretend this was fun and go back to waiting? Should we just go back to telling the next generation, yeah, someday God's gonna come through? Sometimes it's easier to just put it off than believe for it now. Should we just go this should we just go home now? If I'm honest, I know what it feels like to want an off-ramp. Should we all raise our hands or should we just assume that's all of us? I know what it feels like to want an off-ramp. And can I just say that this story, the fact that this story about John the Baptist made it into Luke chapter 7 really encourages me. Because uh, John's the man, and he still was looking for an off-ramp. And so it encourages me, makes me feel a little bit better that, okay, it's okay. Sometimes I want an off-ramp too. I know what it feels like. And I, I, you know, I'm, I'm still fairly young. I haven't, been following that Jesus, I haven't been following Jesus for like decades at this point. But, you know, in the grand scheme of things, there's a lot of people who follow Jesus longer than me and all these kinds of things. But if what I've experienced so far in following Jesus is any indication of what the rest of this road is going to continue to look like, I'm learning some things about off-ramps. And the first thing I'm learning about off-ramps is that they're not exactly few and far between, if I'm honest. It's not like the road trip where they're every hundred miles. It's like, you know, when you're going through the city and it's every half mile. Sometimes that's what it feels like. Every half mile, there's another reason to just kind of, really? Should we just stop? They're not really few and far between. And they always look good. There's two things I've learned about off-ramp so far. More often than not, than not, they sure look like a better option than just continuing. Just be easier to pull off sometimes. I mean, I don't know, I don't know your life. I don't know every detail and all that kind of stuff, so I'm not gonna presume to know you, so I'll just be honest about me for a few seconds. Is that cool with anybody? 
I'll just be honest about me. Like I, I love believing God for the impossible. Believe in God for miracles and healing and babies and salvation and revival in a city. I love believing God for the impossible. And I want to believe him even more. And I want to I have more faith. And I want to see him do more impossible things. But I would live with a whole lot less disappointment, I think, if I didn't decide to live with so much hope. Like, I could get away with living with a lot less disappointment in my life if I wasn't so convinced that Jesus gives hope in every situation. I wouldn't find myself as deep into some situations, right? Because I would have given up before and it just wouldn't have felt so bad. I love believing God, but sometimes it'd be easier not to. And I, I, I want to love people all the time, everybody, just like Jesus did, reckless love. I want to be a part of that same love that Jesus has given me. But honestly, like, I could live with a whole lot less hurt and inconvenience if I didn't. You ever tried loving people? You're like, yeah, Andrew, I've tried loving you. <laughs> Come on, I'm in this boat too. Like, it sounds cool. Like, yeah, let's love people. But then you go try loving people and you can get hurt. Like, it's easy to not get hurt if you don't let love come in. All you gotta do is keep everything arm's distance and you will live with a whole lot less pain in your life. Just keep it far off. And I, I love the church. I love this church. I love the body of Christ. I, I believe the Bible says that this, this, us, we in this room, we, the, the body of Christ in this city, in this world, like we are the fullness of God who, who, who fills all in all. Hell cannot come against us. We are the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. I love the church. But sometimes it'd be easier not to. Like, Especially like in, the, in, our, in like the millennial world right now and everything, like community is just like the buzzword of all buzzwords. Like everybody wants community. Do you really? Like have you tried that? <laughs> like raise your hand if you've been living in community and it's inconvenienced you at least once or twice or 100,000 times. You're like, man, you're high maintenance. And everyone's like, you're high maintenance too. And it's like, wow, how do we expect to do this together? <laughs> You know, it's, I mean, it's amazing, but, you know, I don't think community can really happen until we've all hurt each other's feelings at least a little bit, until we've all offended each other at least a couple of times and had to decide, are we going to get over this or are we done? Come on, somebody who has some real friends, yeah. right? Like, you're not real friends until you have some stories about how you thought it's time to give up, but you didn't, and now you want to give up, but you've made it this far, so you might as well just keep going. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Come on. It'd be easier to just not go there, you know? Like forgiveness, sounds great, not always fun. Repentance, bleh. Like getting rid of offense, working through each other's weaknesses, putting up with each other's maturing process. Like at what point did that sound like a good idea, this whole community thing? It'd be easier to just not do it. What I'm trying to say is that when I look at John in Luke chapter 7, I don't find myself in prison, thankfully. I may not be in John's exact situation, but I get it. That's all I'm trying to say. I'm looking at John, and I'm saying, John, I get it. And one other thing about this situation is that it totally flies in the face of this religious lie that we all wish was true, which is, the better your Christian you are, the better your circumstances will be. It's not true. 
It's like you can't out-church yourself from some things. You know, like church isn't going to get you out of some stuff. Prayer's not going to get you out of some stuff. Worship's not going to get you out of some stuff. Sometimes you just got to go through it. And you better believe church is going to help you get through it. Prayer's going to help get you through it. Worship's going to help get you through it, but it's not going to get you out of it. There's no shortcut. Sometimes the only way you get out to the other side is just saying, I'm going to outlast this thing. You get there because you decide I'm not stopping. Sometimes winning comes down to that, not quitting. I heard a hero of mine, she said, if you don't quit, you win. And it's true in Jesus. Doesn't sound fancy, doesn't make you feel warm and cozy, but it's true. It's true. Sometimes you just decide I'm not stopping. I mean, Jesus said about John a few verses later, he says, I tell you, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. This is the greatest man ever born. I don't have a chance of living up to that, and he still found himself in prison. My religious checklist isn't going to guarantee me anything. So, John sends his friends, looking for an off-ramp. Jesus, are you the one that we've been waiting for, or should we wait for somebody else. So what does Jesus say to John? This is a loaded moment. What does Jesus say to him? I mean, Jesus loves John. John has paved a way for him. John's done so much for Jesus. What does Jesus say? Surely he gives him a good answer. In verse 21 through 23, this is what happens right after they ask Jesus. He says, or in verse 21, it says this, in that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. That sounds cool, but think about it in context. So these guys came up to him and they said, Jesus, John, like John, he's down, and he really needs to know, for real, are you the one? And he said, hold on a second. And he just goes around healing people. Doesn't even give him an answer. He just goes around leading a revival service or something. That's crazy. Then verse 22, and he answered them. Then he, he answers them after all of these things. Go and tell John what you have seen and what you've heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who's not offended by me. Very interesting answer. Sometimes Jesus and my wife have some things in common, like they don't exactly answer the question that I ask. <laughs> Like, hey, babe, what, what, what time do you think the kids will go down tonight? Well, they woke up at 3.15 from their naps. Like, okay, so what time do you think they'll go down? <laughs> All you women are like, what? That's a perfectly good answer. <laughs> no. <laughs> they ask him this question. This is Jesus' response. He goes and does a bunch of stuff and then tells them, like, hey, go, go tell John what you saw and what you heard. I want you to believe this and, and maybe write this down this morning that sometimes God answers the, your question or sometimes God's answer to your question isn't what he has to say to you, it's what he has to show to you. Sometimes God's answer to your question is not in what he has to say to you, it's in what he has to show to you. A few chapters earlier, we're in Luke chapter 7, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus told everybody exactly who he was. John wasn't asking because he hadn't heard. Jesus say, I'm the one you've been looking for. And in Luke chapter four, there's this story where Jesus, he's, he's just starting his ministry. He goes to a church service. He, he pulls out a scroll. He opens up to Isaiah chapter 61. 
And he reads it, and then he goes and he sits down, and everybody's staring at him. It's a, it's a prophecy about the Messiah in Isaiah 61. He reads it, he goes and he sits down, and he looks at everybody in the room. He says, that's me. He has said clearly who he is. Isaiah 61, 1 through 3 says this. It says, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planning of the Lord, that he may be glorified. He already said exactly who he was. He said it just a few chapters earlier. And so when John's disciples come to Jesus with the question, John needs to know if you're really the one. He doesn't just tell them to go tell John what they've heard because he's already heard. Now he needed to say, go tell him what you've seen. Go tell John, he says, what you've seen and heard. And sometimes God's putting something so deep in you, he can't say it anymore. He's got to show you. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus told John he was the one. In Luke chapter 7, he needed to show him he was the one. This is what I'm trying to say is that how many of you know Jesus isn't just all talk? How many of you know Jesus isn't just all talk? He's not just all talk. He, he, he can back up everything that he has to say. It's one thing to stand up and say, the Spirit of the Lord's on me to bring uh, sight to the blind. It's another thing to bring sight to the blind. He can back it up. He's not just faithful to speak his word. He's faithful to fulfill his word. He doesn't just tell you what he's going to do. Jesus does what he said he's going to do. His word is true. His word does not return to him void. It will accomplish what it set, was sent out to do. Somebody say amen or we're all going to fall asleep. Come on. Jesus isn't just all talk. And, the, and you need to believe that. It is good that you believe it. You're going to need to believe it. And you're going to need to remember that you believe that sometimes. Because there's promises that God makes you on the mountaintop that he can only show you in the valley. There are miracles, to stick with our off-ramp analogy, there are miracles that God can promise you at the gas station that you can't experience till your tank's on empty. Luke chapter 7, Jesus isn't just going to give an answer. Don't worry, John, I've come to bring good news to the poor, the afflicted. He's saying there's... I know, John, is, you're having a hard time, and it would be great for me to send a word that just opens the prison gates, and here we go. We come out, and it's all awesome. But the reality is, is that there's good news that you don't know that you need until you've experienced some affliction. He's trying to show you more of himself, but it takes a little bit of affliction for you to really understand it. You can't experience the tenderness with which God mends a heart back together until it's been broken. You can't appreciate liberty that only Jesus can give until you've tasted captivity away from him. Jesus said 
it's good for me to go because I'm going to send one after me. And he's, it's better for you that I leave. I'm going to send the comforter, the Holy Spirit. We can't experience the comfort of God until we also know what it is to mourn. He's trying to show you some stuff. He's not just trying to tell you something. When you're tired, when you're weary, when you're looking for an offering, before you get discouraged and frustrated about what God's not saying, make sure you're not missing what he is doing. You may not be getting a new word from God right now. You may be in the middle of something saying, God, I need you to say something. You may not be getting a new word because he's busy doing the last one. Don't just turn your ear, open up your eyes. Because sometimes what you need can only be shown to you. What makes this even more incredible? Isaiah 61, this promise that, I mean, this, this promise is amazing. If, if, he, if he just said, I'm bringing good news for the poor and afflicted. I'm bringing liberty for the captives. I'm bringing oil gladness for those who mourn. If, if he just said that, that would be amazing because then you could get through anything. But his promise is not just to get you through stuff. His promise is to grow you through stuff. Come on, write this down. You're not just going to get through it. He's growing you through it. The end of verse chapter 3, Jesus promised this, that you may be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord, the display of his glory that he might be glorified. Isaiah 61 isn't just a promise that when you're having a hard time, Jesus is going to come. It's that Jesus is going to come and he's going to make you an oak of righteousness in the midst of it. Who is he talking about that are the oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, the poor, the afflicted, the blind, the bound, the mourning? Come on. It's not just goosebumps. It's not just goosebumps. He's saying, I'm not just going to get you through this. I'm going to grow you through it. When the soil's dry, your roots, they get driven down deep. When the wind blows hardest, the trunk gets stiffer. When autumn comes and the leaves fall and everything looks barren, it's just preparation for spring. Because here comes new life. You're a planting of the Lord. You will be a display of the glory of God. And there's some things that can't just be displayed in a moment of power. There's some of the glory of God that only comes in the valley. And then when you're looking for an off-ramp, when you're weary, when you're tired, when you're wondering, should we just call it quits? Is it really worth continuing going on? And you're seeking God. I mean, John did the right thing, right? It's not like he was at rock bottom because he fell off the map and got addicted to drugs and did all kinds of sin stuff. Come on. His righteousness put him in the prison. You may not get the results that you want, but you are getting the roots that you need. There's off-ramps. There's off-ramps on this road. Jesus, people. There's off-ramps. Plenty of opportunities to take the easier road out compromise, slow down, chill out, and just go home. I know it. You know it. John the Baptist knew it. And Jesus knew it. Jesus knows what it's like to see the sign for Effingham. 
Think about it. He had a call on his life like nobody has ever had. And so he had to walk a road that nobody else has ever had to walk. I need you to step into this broken world that you created and loved, but they're going to hate you, and you need to be perfect so you can die a death you don't owe, so you can redeem all of them back to humanity, but not even everybody's going to accept it. That's tough. That's a heavy load. That's a long haul. I mean, think about it. Every time he got rejected, don't you think he wondered, why am I even doing this? And every time he got accepted, every time he got celebrated, and they wanted to give him a kingdom and give him a castle and give him a throne, don't you think he probably thought at least once or twice, man, it sure would be easier to be the one served instead of the one who came to serve. I think he knows what it's like. The Bible says he was tempted in every way, but still he did not sin. And ultimately his road brought him to a garden called Gethsemane. Middle of the night, all alone, tired, sweating blood, knowing the torture about to come in the following hours. And in Luke chapter 22, Jesus is looking for an off-ramp. He's looking for an off-ramp and he prays this prayer to to the Father. He says, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. I don't want to do this. It's really going to hurt. I'm scared. He knows what the off-ramp is like. But Hebrews 12, verse 2, says this. How did Jesus keep going when the off-ramp looked so good? In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says this. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame, and he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He knows what it's like to hit an offering, but he didn't let the challenge before him keep him from the joy that was promised him. He needed to see what was beyond the cross. He needed to set his eyes on the prize. He learned to get through the cross by looking at the resurrection. And when John faced his off-ramp in Luke chapter 7, he modeled for us perfectly what we're admonished to do in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. When we see an off-ramp, what do we do? Hebrews 12, verse 2 starts simply with this. Looking to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Sometimes following Jesus looks a little hard. There's an offering. But keep your eyes on Jesus. Because he knows what it's like to have his eyes drift to the right. That exit sign looks so good. The lane's wide open. It'd be so easy. My favorite dessert and coffee are there. It would just be simpler. But Jesus showed us that if we'll keep our eyes on him, we'll see that he always keeps going. He'll teach you. He'll lead you. He'll show you. In the middle of your struggle, in the middle of your questions, and whatever else it is, look to Jesus because you're not alone in the garden. Go tell John not just what you've heard, but tell him what you've seen. Yeah, I'm the one. I am the one.
Off-ramps are appealing, and they always will be. Because the exciting part about getting your destination is you get to stop. You know, when you're following Jesus, those of us who want to be Jesus people, this fight, all this stuff, it's going to end at some point. You'll get to the end. The struggle will be over. The Word of God says this light, momentary affliction is going to end at some point. But how many of you know there's a difference between stopping somewhere and arriving somewhere? Off-ramps promise you to stop, but it's not the same as arriving. And you're made to arrive. And you want to arrive. Jesus has called you to arrive. He's going to carry you to the end. And the world is looking for some people who will stand up and say, I'm not just going to, I'm not going to stop. I'm going to make it. I'm going to arrive. I will look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of my faith. When I don't have any more, I'll look to the author to write me some more. When my faith breaks, I'm just going to look to Jesus and he can fill in the gaps. Yes, he's the one. I want you to stand this morning. We're going to worship together. And we're going to receive courage from God this morning. So we're going to receive courage from God this morning. As we worship together, we're going to have some people off to the side to pray. If you need somebody to pray with you, I don't know where you're at this morning. You may be facing some off-ramps. You might be, like I said, in the middle of the city where there's one every 200 feet. And you're wondering, I don't know how I'm going to make it through this. You might need somebody to pray with you. Don't leave without it. We need each other. I'm not saying it's going to fix it, but I'm going to say, I'm saying it's going to help you get through it. Or maybe you just need to make this decision in this moment. God, I'm always going to receive your roots. I'm not just going to demand certain results. I want God to put courage in your heart this morning. You might be here this morning saying, I've never actually decided to even start the journey of following Jesus. And this morning, you need to make your decision. Jesus, I'm in. I'm in. I'm starting the road. I'm accepting the invitation. Whatever the road might bring, I need you, Jesus. Yes, it might get difficult at times, but he wants to make you new. And he wants to lead you into the life you were made for. So I'm going to pray for us. I just want you to close your eyes and bow your heads as we pray and invite God to give us some roots this morning, even in these final moments together. Jesus, we love you so much. And I thank you, God, that you are able to be seen, not just heard. That I pray that you would open up our eyes to see you, to see you even now in these moments, to see you. Every time that an off-ramp looks so good, Lord, I speak courage by the power of the Holy Spirit. I just feel like we need to go for it right now. If you need courage right now, I want you to put your hands in the air. If you're not desperate enough to put your hands in the air, I don't know that you need it bad enough. Come on, Jesus. Give us courage in the baptism of the Holy Spirit now. In Jesus' name. Lord, I'm asking for the fuel and the fire of God right now to touch every heart whose hand is raised. Lord, I'm asking for confidence. I'm asking for eyes to see by the power of the Holy Spirit. I feel like he's saying this when he, when he speaks a promise it gives you hope but when he shows you the promise it gives you confidence Lord I thank you for the hope that you've put inside of our hearts Lord I ask for confidence now 
confidence to believe it's not over it's not over God you're going to bring us through it even if we have to go through the tomb there's still resurrection in Jesus come Holy Spirit If you're here this morning and you're saying, I, I just need to, I need to follow Jesus. Maybe, maybe you've given your life to him before, but you actually need to start following him. Maybe you've never made that decision. Just raise your hands and say, Jesus, I'm in. Come and touch my life. That's all salvation is. Come and touch my life, God. Lord, as we sing about your love, come and put fuel in the tank right now in Jesus' name.